It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. There were benches as opposed to the uh, actual seats where we were sitting, which was great because my parents had the two seats. And uh, on those cold days, instead of firing me off to the uh, the knothole gang at seven, eight years old, I could sit with them if I could just squeeze in between them because there was just lines drawn where the seats were supposed to end. You know, you can get two adults and one little kid in there pretty easily. First down. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble, and I'm glad to have everyone back with us. And tonight it's Heath Graham and Pat Mooney, my regular uh, cohorts who follow the CFL, and we'll be providing some insight. And today, gentlemen, looks like we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, over 300 free agents in the CFL. I don't envy the GMs in the league at all. This is going to be a real jigsaw puzzle to get teams put back together. Uh, a lot of new parts, trying to get a lot of the old parts back in. It's going to be fun to watch, but pretty stressful to try to uh, do all this with a salary cap. Yeah, that's a, an awful lot of free agents, but we're we're excited to uh, dig into this. You know, not having played the uh, 2020 season, there's a number of people who've come open that uh, are going to make this free agent frenzy exciting once again this year. Well, and speaking of the salary cap, the league is looking at that issue of the salary cap and how high it's going to be. It, it'll probably stay there, but teams may not reach that ceiling when it comes to player negotiations and salaries because clearly uh, with COVID still floating and we don't know exactly when we're going to have enough people vaccinated to get into stadiums so that we can fill them to the rafters, um, where do we uh, go with this is a very difficult question for teams to answer absolutely is and i think you know you're better to err on the side of being safe rather than overspending and that's been encouraged i understand as well by the league to take a look at that because revenues are unknown yeah part of the puzzle for me is who's actually at an advantage here is it the gms or is it the players what do you do as a player do you jump at the first offer that comes your way so you're guaranteed to get in do you try to sit it out and and see what comes at the end I'd be pretty nervous myself, I think, as a player and uh, probably want to get a piece of that pie as quick as I can to make sure I'm in somewhere. Agreed, especially if you're a veteran player, um, you know, coming towards the end of your career. You've had a year without playing and a year without, uh, you know, I I know they're still training, but it's different when you're actually training when you're playing, I imagine. And uh, I think that, you know, if you're a higher priced veteran, you are definitely at uh, risk of having you know, someone else usurp you because of the wage that they would be demanding. And I think that's a, a factor in any offseason. I think that the more experience you have, it's certainly a benefit for playing in the CFL, but it also means that your cost goes up with it. And then you've got to be something a little bit more special under those circumstances for teams to want you. There are a lot of veteran players that are on this list. It's uh, going to be very interesting Who has the uh, upper hand? I don't think either side does, truthfully, because I think you're going to see GMs who would love to see their teams together. You probably are going to see some free agents that may want to test the waters anyway. So you've always got that friction between the two sides of, can we keep what we had? How much are we going to lose? It's not much different than any given year, except 
that into this fray are all the players that sign contracts to attend training camp. They are part of this package. That's why these numbers are so big. And you've got another year of age on some of these guys. Granted, they didn't play a full season, but are you going to throw money at a, you know, a, a guy in his early to mid-30s like he had on his old contract? Now that he's got another, another year, is it worthwhile? Do you throw him the same money? There's not going to be a lot of raises, I don't think, coming when there wasn't a season last year. Yeah, I do think what you say, Don, is, is definitely valid. I think, you know, and any year, veteran players are always in the bubble. But I do think it's more so on the bubble this year because, I mean, if you look at what coaches' wages happened in the off season when there wasn't something, with an unknown revenue, uh, you're going to have to reduce costs, I think, to be fiscally responsible so you're not driving your organization into the ground. So these GMs are going to have to probably pull back wages across the board to a certain percent to, um, you know, make sure people... Are, are able to play the game, get a wage, but at the same point, mitigate the risk of not knowing how much income you're going to be having. Well, football operations cap has been trimmed by 20%. Uh, you're looking at other cuts that the CFL is exploring. They're trying to save as much money as they can. And if it works out to say that maybe you can save a mil per team, that's $10 million overall. That's not so bad for the league because that maybe puts you in a better spot to withstand what is certainly going to be a bit of a hit in 2021. Absolutely. Another thing to consider, we've talked before about revenue sharing. So if a GM is going out and putting a lot of money in on players and individual teams when the league's revenue sharing, now you're looking at it not just from individual organizations, which is their responsibility, but there's also a uh, collective responsibility if that in fact does come into play and you have to have somebody strong and somebody that's really good at accounting to figure out what's going on in terms of the salary cap because you don't want this to be on the sort of the pledge system that i'll be good you have to have unfortunately somebody that has a the ability to conduct a forensic audit so that everybody is playing by the same rules has there been any discussion on expanded practice rosters this year? I know going into the 2020 season, there was a lot of talk about what to do if they did get a season in, but are they looking at a similar expanded practice roster for the, the new season coming back in 2021? Not that I've heard as of yet, but that doesn't preclude anything. We're in December, come January, as we turn the corner, vaccines start to show up in Canada, you may see a different uh, note coming out from the CFL saying that they are going to consider this once again. It, it is a very difficult situation. As Pat alluded, you've got a season that's gone. You never had a chance to look at anybody. Draft picks are a, more of a crapshoot than ever, truthfully, because guys just don't have anything on film from 2020. And so that's now a year and a half or two years ago that they played. So yeah, it, it makes it very difficult. And I think you might get some allowances from the league saying that maybe five to eight more players per team at camp wouldn't be unreasonable. Yeah, to me, that would make sense. I mean, we've certainly seen what's happened in the NFL when, when players go down with COVID. You've got to have a bank of reserves if you want to keep your season active and going. So, um, you know, the next man up mentality that is part of football becomes, you know, uh, even more important in the case of COVID if, if it's still in play when the season begins. Very true. So let's start looking at some names. Uh, which coast do you want to start at? Do you want to start east? Do you want to start west, guys? Let's start west-east. Are you good with that, Heath? Yeah. 
All right, so we're looking at the British Columbia Lions, and of course they've got uh, new co-general managers that were just announced. So we know that uh, that situation has been resolved. So now they have to go out and sign players. Uh, Pat, who do you think is a priority for the Lions to re-sign out of that huge list that they have of about 38 people? They, they really do have a, a huge number of people to look at. But for me, I mean, I, I, I would go offense first if I were the GM. I think there's two areas that they really need to take a look at. And the first one for me that, that was a priority and a weakness in 2019 would be their O-line. To me, they've got to um, secure some strong O-line. And in their actual roster, Joel Figueroa, is that how you say it? I, I Figueroa. Thank you. He He's one that, that I would definitely be trying to build around. He's a leader. He's the, one of the older people on there. But I also think, and I, I was looking through others. I mean, there are others there. But I'm if I'm the general manager, I'm also going out to sign someone because I, I think they can actually pull a number of offensive linemen in, and that's where you're going to start the core of your offense. Without the line protecting Riley, you're not going to have anyone to throw to. So for me, that's that's the priority. The second thing I would do, of course, would be to you have to have someone for Riley to throw to, and I'd be looking for Brian Burnham. I mean, for me, he is the penultimate um, player on that team, and he's one that, that can, can change the game in a moment. He's an outstanding receiver. There's other receivers out there that are on, on the list. Uh, I saw Rhymes and Holy, but um, for me, Burnham would be num my number one. Heath? Yeah, Brian Burnham was the top of my list for BC as well. Uh, Dominic Rhymes, um, Shaq Johnson. So three wide receivers um, are pretty key free agents on that team. You're right. They've got a good quarterback. They need somebody that can catch the ball. Um, I think Rhymes is a good kind of possession guy. Burnham's your big play guy. Uh, two two key components on that offense. Uh, defensive side, I think their defensive line, there's a couple of free agents there. Micah Johnson jumps out. Uh, Cameron Walker. Those are kind of the keys for me with, with BC. Um, I agree with Pat. I think there's room to improve, especially offensive line. I think that uh, poor start to the O-line led to the downfall of their previous head coach. So definitely some holes there to fill. Micah Johnson's an interesting one to me because he signed as an FA coming from the Rough Riders and never stepped on the field. It's a question I think that a lot of players have to have is, I was going to go play for this team. I came over from somewhere else to play here. Now that this has happened, do I still want to continue with that original commitment? Or What if the Riders give him a good offer coming back there? He's never played with BC, so he doesn't really have any of that loyalty with that team put in some uh, some good games with the Riders. Is that something that they reward and try to steal them back? Or does Calgary want them back? Speaking of the Stampeders, let's go right to them. Now, they're one of the teams that aren't as bad in terms of the numbers. They're at 34, which is a few less than what we see in BC. But again, some veteran leadership. Pat, they've got some uh, holes that they could be filling. They do. Uh, I mean, like BC, I think they've got uh, some key cogs in their receiving core that are free agents and, and of those I mean I, I would be leaning towards Eric Rogers because he, he is a thousand yard receiver and he brings a lot to the team uh, I think on defense the one that stood out to me was Jamar Wall a DB two-time all-star he's uh, in that Sam spot and he led the team in tackles in 2019 and I think that's someone you can build around on your team um, I'm always big on offensive lineness I think I'm copying Pat's notes because I had Eric Rogers circled on my list of, for Calgary as well. But one interesting thing on the defensive side, they've actually got five linebackers listed as free agents. So Chase Middleton was kind of the one that I, 
had had earmarked there, but they've got a, uh, some options of who to keep. But I think five free agency want to make sure you get a couple of guys back, and not offense or defense, but Rennie Parrott is the the kicker is I think one of the best in the league and um, has been there for a lot of years and a really solid guy. And you're looking at veteran presence as well. I know kickers have their own aloofness to them, but I think he's a, a pretty key part of the Stampeders team and somebody they've got to look at bringing back as well. And Kamar Jordan, I think, has got to be another player that you've got to re-sign. I know he wouldn't have played in 2020 anyway because of the knee injury that he received the previous year, but I still think his upside is very good. And I, All right, so let's go to the Edmonton team. Yeah. The Edmonton team. Offensive line for them as well. I think uh, Justin Renfro and, and uh, Matt O'Donnell are two that stood out for me to shore up that offensive line. And uh, on defense, really only one name that jumped out to me was Monte Diggs, uh, linebacker. Really key guy there as well. Um, I think they're in a, a decent spot with their list. There was nobody that I think is a absolute tragic loss if they don't re-sign. And uh, lots of opportunity there to uh, to shore up some guys, hopefully without a lot of money spent. Pat, I also when when you look on offense, um, Ellingson as a receiver, I mean he's an outstanding receiver, and we know how well he works with the quarterback uh, Harris. And to me, he would be a key piece in terms of uh, bringing him back to the team as well. Well, you've got also Sir Vincent Rogers, another guy that missed the 2019 season due to injury. He's the guy that protects. Harris's blind side. On defensive line, you've got uh, Kwaku Boatang and Amondo Sewell. I don't see how you can let either one of those go, and my guess is neither one will probably want to go. The only thing I saw with Sewell is, is his age. You know, he's 33 years old. He's going to demand a big contract, and, and uh, you know, that might be one of those uh, players that gets let go because of the, the contract or the demand. Could very well be. Edmonton, of course, still were waiting on their new name. I heard a new one being suggested, Golden Eagles. I kind of like that one. Keeps the EE alive. Elks and Golden Eagles, probably the two leaders in my books. But that is up to that team to decide, and we will find out in due time, I am sure. Moving east a little bit further, we go to Regina and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And, of course... Pat, you probably have a few opinions about what they want to do. <laughs> oh, absolutely, I do. <laughs> I, I, I mean, when you're from Saskatchewan, everyone's got an opinion on the riders. And uh, to me, I think their number one sign is Shaq Evans. I, I know they have other receivers and Kyron Moore and Jordan Williams Lambert out there. All three are key receivers. But of those, I think Cody Fajardo had a, a strong connection with Shaq Evans, and I'd like to see him come back. When we move to the defensive side, uh, to me, I'm looking at defensive backs, and, and you've got Ed Ganey, you've got Purifoy, and you've got Nick Marshall. All three of them are strong defensive backs, but of the three, I would probably prioritize Marshall, to be honest. He's younger, and he's a lockdown corner, and I think he brings a lot to the team. So on defense, I'd go there, and, and then, just like some of the other teams, I'd say for them, they need to sign some offensive linemen to replace Shepley, and then they've got some aging uh, offensive linemen like Labatt and uh, Dan Clark and others. So I think they have to start that rebuild. Uh, again, it starts with the offensive line. Fajardo needs to be protected to be able to hit his receivers. Heath. Obviously, Charles Hughes on the defensive line as well. Pat made some good points about uh, defensive backs. 
maybe going a little bit younger. I did have Ed Gainey on, on my list, but if Pat thinks he's too old, then uh, so be it. <laughs> but I, I think uh, I think Hughes is really the anchor on that defensive line as well and somebody that's uh, that's worth the money and worth getting back on the team. Otha Foster is another one that the team invested in to bring back. It's going to be interesting because O-line, I think Pat is on target with that. It is getting older. They're going to have to look at draft picks to help to replenish that core. And while maybe 2021 isn't going to be an issue, by 2023, they are going to be in trouble. Winnipeg, the defending Grey Cup champions for the last, by that time, it'll be two years. Okay, so I have in big capital letters offensive line. Um, you've got two of, I think, the best, two of the best offensive linemen in the league in Jamarcus Hardrick and uh, Stanley Bryant up as free agents this year. Um, with their new quarterback, Kolaris, coming back, you've got to protect him. We all know he's had some injury troubles in the past, so having those two giants on the offensive line looking out for him, I think, is key. Um, Andrew Harris is a free agent as well. He had a monster Grey Cup. Um, he also had a, a drug suspension, potentially, last in the last season as well. So is he on the decline? I don't know. I think he's still a great running back, but to me, not as key as some of the offensive line holes. And um, Justin Medlock is up as well. So my a second kicker makes my list of, of keys. I think, again, one of the top two or three kickers in the league, um, a really important part. And then on defense, to go with Willie Jefferson, you've got Jackson Jeffcoat. The, the two of them worked really well together, put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks. And we saw in the Grey Cup, they were probably the two key guys on defense that um, held Hamilton down to the 12 points. You don't have a, a successful running game without a, a strong offensive line like that, and they have a punishing running game. So Harris would be great if he brought, was brought back behind. He's also uh, a key, I think, as a racial buster. And, and I mean, I think they would be doing everything they can because truly he's, he's the face of the team. When you talk about the big player there, Caleros isn't quite there yet. Um, and on defense, I had J- Jeff Code as well. So, I think just to jump in there quickly with, with what you had to say there, um, Andrew Harris is a hometown boy, so I think that's, that's key. But Johnny Augustine, in the little bits that he played, looked really good. And uh, you've got a couple of other options there. Um, Nick Dembski, another kind of hometown guy. So as much as it would pain me to lose Harris, I don't think he's irreplaceable at this point. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Right, let's go with the team they beat in the Grey Cup, Hamilton. Ticats, of course, a 15-3 record and didn't win the Grey Cup. That smarts, but... I'm sure this one is on everybody's list, but Speedy Banks, I think, is a key. Uh, you talk about a face of a franchise. And to me, he is the face of Hamilton right now. And um, I know the interesting thing with him was he was kind of the first player in 2020 with the COVID numbers going up that said, I'm not playing this year, I'm out. Um, Hopefully that didn't burn any bridges for him. He's very marketable, uh, very popular and super talented. So uh, to me, he's the the key on offense. And then uh, Simone Lawrence, linebacker uh, on the defensive side. 
And quick question I'm going to throw out to you guys here as well is what happens with Mazzoli? Hamilton, I know, wants the two-quarterback system. They would be very happy to have both Evans and Mazzoli, but I don't know if you can afford both if Mazzoli thinks he deserves to be paid. And as such, would he wind up in where? <laughs> like, what other team is open to having him right now? Most are set with what quarterback they have. Part of the success Hamilton had was the ability to run two different quarterbacks out there. When Mazzoli went down, Evan stepped right up. And to me, that was the, the strength of the team. They had two quarterbacks that were able to do that. I would agree. Brandon Banks is the number one pick. I had a second linebacker because I think Simone Lawrence and Larry Dean are both strong keys there. And then when you talk about defensive backs, I mean, they had some shutdown defensive backs that are out there. Frankie Williams, uh, Patrick Levels. Uh, to me, he's the future in that secondary. So I think you've got a few people you need to go after. Sean Thomas Erlington in the backfield. He should be recovered. you got Chris Van Zyl on the offensive line. Ticats have got a lot of players they want to bring back. Uh, Brandon Banks, I'd be shocked if he left Hamilton. I, he's played his whole career there. I just don't think there's any way that he's going to be leaving. Mazzoli and Evans, that's where their, their big debate is going to be in those uh, boardrooms. Which direction do we want to go because if they sign Mazzoli big that means Evans is the one that's probably on the way out Argonauts they went big on Canadian free agents and they signed a lot of guys from the Toronto Mississauga area those guys a lot of them are free agents right now I imagine they're going to probably try to continue the experiment right off my top two I've got two nationals and Chris Aki and also uh, Levi Noel and to me, those those are two keys. And, and the third one I have is also a, a national in, in Blattock. I think they, you know, they've got to solidify their offensive line, and he's one that I would try to build around. On offense, I added uh, Jawan Breskison as well, wide receiver. A couple interesting names on the defensive side were uh, Bola Combo and then Craig Rowe that they signed from Winnipeg. Again, in one of these situations where they signed for the 2020 season, never got a chance to play. Um, I do kind of pay attention to, to Craig and his family on Twitter. And I know they were pretty upset in a lot of ways leaving Winnipeg. So I'm curious to see how committed he is to staying in Toronto if he gives that another chance. Or again, if, if Winnipeg gets a chance to bring him back, do they jump at that and uh, turn that car around and head back to Winnipeg? Well, Bola Combo they had traded for from Montreal. Drake Nevis is another one. Another FA that they had picked up. He's now an FA again. It's a lot of ifs because and we've touched on it a couple times. Again, you sign in the offseason between 19 and 20. The 20 season goes away. What do you do with that information? That's, you know, both sides have a lot to determine. And, and I just wonder how teams are going to react to it because you can go any which way you want right now. If you just let everybody go, you can rebuild your team and maybe we should talk about Ottawa. Mark Corte, I believe he's the key there, but then there's also an interesting individual out there, Evan Johnson. Uh, He's young, he's 26, but an extremely consistent, but I I would think you have teams like BC and potentially even Saskatchewan may take a shot at trying to bring that boy home, as you spoke to earlier. Um, Individuals may want to get closer to home, and he's one that I think someone in the West would likely take a shot at as well, if that's where he wants to be. The other one on defense, I mean, Don Don Unamba, a veteran linebacker, a leader with great presence, and I think they would be high on the list of who they want to sign. RJ Harris is a, num- a name on the offense that 
jumped out to me as well, wide receiver. Brandon Dandridge, defensive back on the defensive side of the ball. And my third kicker on the list, Lewis Ward. Um, you know, we all know his story of his near-perfect start to his CFL career. It did tail off a little bit towards the end of 2019, but I think uh, very, very accurate. And to me, the top three kickers in the league are free agents this year. And are they going to come back to their own, their uh, their home teams? I don't think that you want to start moving around as a kicker too much. We've seen it in the league before where guys have signed as FAs, as kickers in another city, and it hasn't worked out. I think you go with you know with what you know and stick with uh, that type of success. Ottawa, of course, signing Arbuckle as their quarterback, and that's why I don't think Mazzoli would wind up in Ottawa because they've already got Arbuckle. They've already invested in him. I just don't know where Mazzoli goes. You've got quarterbacks in Toronto. You've got a quarterback in Montreal. Where do you go from here? Farbuckle, out, out of all the starting quarterbacks right now, I think he's the one that I would say the jury's still out. Can he lead a team himself? And if you want a strong veteran presence, we, we talked about Dane Evans being another one who would benefit from having Mazzoli behind, but I think both would benefit from that veteran presence sitting in behind. The only op- other option in my mind for Mazzoli would be Toronto. How sold are the Argos on Matt Nichols? Don, I know you can speak volumes about what you think of, of Nichols as a as a locker room guy, kind of branded in Winnipeg as a game manager more so than a star quarterback. Do they look at somebody like Mazzoli to come into Toronto that can maybe light up the scoreboard a little bit? The axiom, and I think this is the real question you have to ask, do we win with this guy or do you win because of this guy? The Alouettes have a guy that you win because of. They've got a great quarterback there, but their problem is they've got receivers that are all FAs. I saw Eugene Lewis, Quan Bray, and Naaman Roosevelt. To me, of those three, I'm probably going after Eugene Lewis. I, I mean, he's a 1,000-yard receiver again. He was a primary target in Montreal, and, and to me, he's the most important. But of the other two, I think you need to at least bring one of them back. When I look at defense, Enoch Mwamba as the most outstanding Canadian is absolutely a must-have. He's a cog there, and, and then I'd move probably into the defensive backfield and take someone like Hunter, who is, who's young. He worked with Baron Miles, so I think he could be a key cog on that defense there too. I had Quan Bray, I think, slightly ahead of Naaman Roosevelt. Um, also had Enoch Mwamba and Taylor Loeffler. Um, I liked this guy as a defensive back for a long time. Quan Bray, he's has some legal issues that propped up a, a while ago that I don't know where they all fell out, but wasn't good for him at that point. Eugene Lewis had signed with the Alouettes saying he would give them one more year. He wanted to explore what they would do. That was, of course, last year. Does he want to pursue the NFL? Now, again, nothing on tape. How do you promote yourself? Good questions because, uh, you know, there's a lot of players in the CFL who I'm sure would love that shot, but not having the year, particularly the younger ones that are moving up and have some time in front of them, that's probably hurt their opportunities. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Second down. Comeback 21 schedule. If you have a chance, listen to Trevor Hardy on the Waggle podcast. That's episode 239. He explains all of this. 
intra-divisional games will move up from 41 to 49. And that means eight more rivalry games. Trevor Hardy said on that podcast, this is the way the CFL is going forward. Heath, your thoughts on that move? Well, we did talk about this a couple of weeks ago. And personally, as a fan, I like seeing home and homes with every team every year. The return in 2021, I completely understand what they're going with and why. I have no problem with it this year. Um, I think moving forward, we need those Halifax schooners in so the math makes sense for everybody. The way it's set up this year, having four games against a couple of teams or one team in your division if you're in the East is going to be really tough. I think three is ideal. Four is is too many in my opinion. Like I said, for, for one year to get football back on the field, if this is what we got to do, I can certainly live with I don't disagree with Heath. Uh, I think I've made my point on, on our podcast previously. I, I agree. Um, to see a team play another team four times and then potentially in the playoffs, uh, that, that's an awful lot of games against the same team. And it can be great if both you know teams are good, but if both teams are bad, you're going to potentially lose some fans and people may not uh, want to be there, in my opinion. I I like the home and home series. I like the fact you play everyone. I do understand its travel and its cost. And like Heath, I understand in this COVID time when we're trying to reduce costs. And the the one thing I'll give you, Don, is that the rivalries can become bigger, right? When you're playing each other lots, the rivalries can become bigger, but they can also become a bit weary. I'm thinking of someone who is not a fan of the CFL. If you're a fan of a specific team, you're going to just watch those teams and you may not tune into the games where you're seeing two teams you don't really care about multiple times. But when they come into your division more, then you're going to still have some interest on how they're playing teams within your division. The CFL, three things. One, they want to get more rivalries. Two, they want to cut down travel. It's a cost that is going up and up and up. And three... It also helps with the player's health because if you're not climbing on a plane to go across the country, it makes a big difference to them if they can take one of those road trips away. So that helps with their health and recovery time as well. This is this is not something that they're doing just because 2021 and we're in a COVID situation. This is what it's going to be like. And when Halifax gets in, mark my words, every team will play every other team four to, three times in their own division, and then they'll play six against the other division. And that's the way it's going to be from now on because they've got, you can't have Halifax going to Vancouver every year. That's just ridiculous amount of money they're going to be spending. If you do it once in two years, I think it's palatable. And as it is, you have a rotation going on. So yes, Saskatchewan doesn't go play Hamilton in Hamilton this year, but they will next year in 2022. It's not that big a deal. I guess my biggest issue is the four head-to-head matchups. I agree with Don when we get the Schooners in or whatever their team might be. Um, it makes perfect sense to do 12 within your own division, six against the other. Uh, basically, you play everybody once and then your um, parallel team in the standings from the previous year is who you play twice. So you would see Hamilton and Winnipeg play twice as the first place teams. It's the easy, easiest way to do it. They get a home and home. Uh, other than that, you play everybody once. It's the Hamilton-Toronto play in four times and Ottawa-Montreal play in four times head-to-head this year. I think bothers me more than anything. As Pat alluded to, they are playing each other um, in the preseason. And then if you've got a postseason game as well, then that's six games against each other. Too much, in my opinion. Tough it out this year and, and see where the chips fall after that. Four times a season, that means you see them in your park twice. It's not exactly an 
an onerous thing to have to do. If Toronto goes to Hamilton twice and Hamilton goes to Toronto twice, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining. It's not like they're they're four in a row or anything like that. And doesn't hockey have within their own division four to five or maybe six games per team that you face? They also play 80 games in a season. And one of the points you made, Don, was it's about player safety. And, and in player safety, I would agree with you. You know, you don't want to be doing that. But if you were to really be serious about player safety, then reduce from 18 back to 16 games and play a balanced home and home all the way across the board. And that's what you have. Uh, I, like Heath, I, I'm excited about the possibility when, when both sides of the league are balanced, when you have two divisions that are equally balanced, I think it makes perfect sense to go into 12 with six on the other side. I still, I guess I, I'm going to be in a more recent traditionalist than Don, who is an older traditionalist saying, and this is the way it used to be way back. I grew up with the CFL having the interlocking schedule, and that's what I remember seeing. And to me, that's what the CFL is about, being able to see each team home and home, at least in your, in, in your season. Prior to 1961, the only time an Eastern team would play a Western team was in the Grey Cup. I wasn't around then. I don't recall that. From 61 to 80, they played once against each other. So every second year, you would go to the other team's park. And then in 81, they said, well, let's change this around and have a balanced schedule. And truthfully, it has just knocked the East around because they play more of their games out of the division. And I've never seen that as fair from day one. And now they finally have 10 within their own division again. I really think that at, that will help, especially the East, get more interest in the game because it's a, it's a much, as we've talked about, a much closer trip to get around. And if you got something happening where the fans get more involved, they start to travel, makes it more exciting for everybody. I think that's certainly true for the fans of those teams. What Pat was kind of saying earlier that I agree with as well is, as a fan, will I tune in to see Hamilton Toronto again over the course of the season? Not being a fan of either one of those teams, I don't know if the appeal is there as much. Certainly Labor Day weekend, as we've, we've discussed, is something that we're all very passionate about and we'll definitely tune in for those games and the return game the following week. Um, four times is a lot. And if you want to throw back and talk about old school schedules, try growing up as a Bomber fan where you never knew if they were in the East or the West. They, they, they bounced back and forth depending on how many teams were in the league. Yes, yeah, with eight teams or nine teams, right? And then we throw a U.S. expansion in there. And uh, I was lucky enough in my childhood to watch the Bombers win Grey Cups as both an East representative and a West representative. Whatever I've got to do to help get that Halifax team in place, if they need me to buy some merch, sign me up and let's get them in there. I'm with you. I want to see the Schooners play. I, I hope once COVID is over and there's some government spending that's going to be coming available for infrastructure, that maybe one of the things that comes available is a stadium for the Schooners to play in and maybe... By the middle of the decade, they are on the field and ready to go. I think that would be fantastic. And there's no doubt that a nine-team league is a scheduling nightmare. No doubt about it. To Pat's point about the 18-game schedule, the 18-game schedule was a change when they dropped two preseason games. They used to play four preseason games, and they said, well, wait a minute. The players didn't like the four. Well, why don't we just make them count? So they... They still play the same number of games, 20, including preseason. Now the two more count, so that's where that change came from. And you're, you're looking at the NFL, and they're moving to 18. They, they got partway there this year. I'm sure next year in 2021, they're going to get to an 18-game schedule. If you can get a 10th team, the math gets so much simpler. 
And it's also an opportunity, I think, to, to increase your revenues, right? When you're in regular season, the games count. I mean, that's why they went from preseason. People don't show up in preseason the same way. Increasing the number of games is also about trying to increase revenue. And certainly a league needs to do that to stay afloat as well. I guess we'll see, you know, we'll find out what viewership is like over time. And I think, you know, they say the CFL is going to be here. Well, I think if, if viewership goes down across the board, they're going to have to take a look at it. Viewership is always greatest in the markets where the two teams are from, by far. And then you, you get a spillover effect in that division and then to the rest of the country. The team that bucks that trend is usually Saskatchewan. You count that anomaly out of the equation. A Calgary-Edmonton game is massive in Alberta, but probably isn't in Quebec. It will catch the casual observer. And the one thing that we talked about way back, remember, was this all business of sports betting. Well, if that gets enhanced, you're going to see a lot more eyeballs watching that game. Absolutely, Don. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about betting before, and I think that is a big part of it. It's an opportunity for the CFL to increase viewership. To me, if, if, if Montreal is coming out to Calgary and I'm a Saskatchewan fan and it's impacting our divisional standings, I'm probably going to watch that more. I'm a CFL fan. I'm still going to watch everything. That's why we're in this podcast, because we love the league. We love to watch. But I'm not sure every casual fan is in that situation. I don't, I don't see the problem here. The only thing that changes is that every once in a while, you don't see a team come to your park. I don't see that as a major problem. Bigger issue to me, and I think the CFL is getting this right, you've got to control your costs. And a Toronto-Ottawa, Toronto-Hamilton, Montreal-Ottawa, those are huge games in those markets. And there are a lot of people in those markets. That's millions and millions of people that are available to you as eyeballs to watch the game on TV much bigger than it is out west. So if you get more games within that group, you're going to get better ratings. And the west will be quite happy to play each other and get better ratings over here. I don't know that if you point to the CFL schedule, if you see that a Calgary in Montreal game is the highest rated game of the year. Both teams were good last year, but was it your highest rated? Probably not. I would think Calgary-Edmonton probably outdrew them. I would argue that, yes, that may be the case. But in a given year where you have, uh, you know, Anthony Cavillo and you're going to watch some of the superstars with Doug Flutie, I want the opportunity to see those people in my stadium in a given year. Those are the superstars of the CFL and they do draw me. So, yeah, I may still watch them on, on TSN, but I do want the opportunity to see some of these stars from across the league in my stadium as well. And if, as, a, as someone who loves the CFL, it takes someone away from what I pay my season tickets to see those those marquee players play. I think it's the right thing to do. I think the more games you get within the division, it helps. It would be great if there's parity across the league, and you're certainly hoping for that. But let, let's use the example of if Calgary's a team that's going to perpetually lose most of their games for a season or two while they're rebuilding. Just you know, I, I, I question how will that impact people's ability to want to see those games. Well, it would be no different than if they were 2-16 and 16 now. How excited would you be to go see them play? I don't see the problem. The problem is they might come to me four times or three times, depending on which league they're in. The max you'd see anybody in the regular season is twice. Or in, in your park, yes. In your park, yes. But um, you're going to see four. So watching them on TV, doing the things that bring someone together up to four times, plus the preseason, plus the playoffs. Well, I mean, they're not making the playoffs. They have that record. Let's, let's be honest here. I guess what I would like to see this year is one of the teams run the table against the other in those four games and see what kind of impact that has to the uh, the division standing. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player.
third down. Bring in some people very important in our lives, and let's talk about some great football memories that we've had over the years. And to my left, on your podcast left, that is my wife, Nadine. Hello. And to my left, I have uh, Shelly, my wife. Hello. And Heath has brought his little furry friend. Uh, this is Linnaeus, if you hear any cat noises in the background. He is available for adoption. Support your local shelters. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the promo section. What I want to do is I want to talk about fun things that we've experienced at football games or around football games. Brought a smile to her face or, or really cool. Nadine, if your first game. My first really exciting football game was the first game I went to with Don at Taylor Field at the time. And uh, that was just exciting because he is such a huge football fan and he had his whole routine down. So it was a very distinct pattern. We, we got there really, really early and we get there and there's literally nobody in the stadium other than us practically. We're going up to where the seats are and... Uh, we're climbing up to get to our section and this guy, kind of well-dressed man, passed us and looked vaguely familiar to me, but we're going by and he looks up and Don says, hi, Matt. And Matt says, hi. So we carry on, we go to sit at our seats and this guy was really friendly and Don must know him. I know Don's done lots of sports related things. He must know him from somewhere. And I get up to the seats and I said, well, who was that guy? He seemed really nice. And he goes, oh, that's Matt Dunnigan. He must be doing the game tonight. So, I mean, I had no idea that was Matt Dunnigan. <laughs> Don talked to him like he'd known him 100 years and he'd never met him before. But Matt was super friendly and talked to Don like he had known him all his life as well. So that was just a really funny moment in retrospect as I've watched a, probably 300 games since then. And <laughs> this guy's on TV all the time. of a really fun first game moment. And uh, never looked back from that. Haven't missed that many games since then unless it gets really cold and I send Heath with Dawn to games instead he can freeze and I watch on TV so <laughs> Shelly holy smokes well first game was actually in university we were both part of the education, education social committee committee and we planned a bus, a bus yeah to get a bus to come down so this was in the late 80s I guess in the fall and we you know organize this bus of people to come down and but we we went in and we were we were ahead we were the riders were winning it was a famous game actually and yeah you guys all know but i can't remember like <laughs> i don't remember those types of details but what i do remember is that a lot of the people went to the bus close to the end of the game and we of course stayed to the very end because that's we what never we leave do. that's our routine we do not leave early that started that very first game and that was the game that there was the pass interference call or with zero time left and Glenn Suter. Mm -hmm. And we lost the game because they got another play. And mm -hmm. so we literally went to the bus and everybody's cheering and having a great time because we won the game. And we said, no, we lost. <laughs> we lost the game. I don't think the bus <laughs> believed us at all. <laughs> I don't know if that was our first one, but it was it one was of my one first of games. Good memory. Yeah. Heath. Um, the first one I'm going to share is actually one of the early Banjo Bowls. I guess shortly after the name Banjo Bowl was, was brought into play. Shout out to Westwood once again. We were sitting in the old Winnipeg Stadium, east side, way in the upper deck. Uh, one buddy of mine and I that went to games pretty regularly 
and we were, happened to be in the section where a lot of the rider fans had traveled and been able to get tickets. Next to us, there was this group of four guys that had driven down from Regina. I was wearing my bomber jersey, and one of the guys was wearing a Don Narcisse jersey. So we started kind of chatting back and forth, so I was calling him Nar- Narcisse all day. Kevin Glenn was the quarterback for the Bombers. Uh, early in the game, he tried a quarterback sneak, ran into the back of an offensive lineman, and fell down for a loss. <laughs> That's not like Kevin Glenn. Later on in the game, still in the first half, he ran an almost identical play, ran into the back of an offensive lineman, fell down for a loss. And I looked over and I was calling, Narcisse, Narcisse. And he looks over at me and I said, we're going to run that on you all day. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just kind of looked back and he says, I sure hope you do. <laughs> Pat. Uh, you know what? I, I mean, lots of games that, that we, we loved. Shelley and I started in university, and then for a number of years we went to games. Um, we, we would buy the voucher packs, 10 games, in the early 90s when we first started teaching. and, and so ten, we, 10 tickets. 10 tickets, I guess. Yeah. Tickets for 10 games. We would uh, go to the games, and, and it often wasn't sold out, and we could kind of sit all over the place. So it was a lot of fun doing that. After we had kids, we, we still continued for a couple of years with those voucher packs, and we would... Years. Start taking our, our, our kids when they were just born, actually. I think we, we had them both out as babies. But we, at one point, we decided, let's, let's stop buying those voucher packs and let's get season tickets. And when we got season tickets, we were in Section 11, which was, if you recall, old Mosaic Stadium. It was the wooden ones right beside the, the main grandstand on the west side, I guess. So we were in that section. And the neat thing was we had our kids there from the time they were toddlers right up through when the stadium changed. Uh, we had to move seats when they took those down and, and reorganized the seating and, and we moved to the other end zone. But it was truly the people in the section that resonated with us. You know, when we stepped up, you had your regulars. We live in Saudi and, and you know, our two regular guys sit behind us. We always call out, Saudi's here. Saudi's here! <laughs> and uh, we weren't there. If we sometimes gave up our tickets, which we did occasionally when the kids were young. And then, you know, we're Saudi. And it always, you know, they tell us all about the people who sat in our seats and how they weren't quite the same. And uh, it was really neat because our kids grew up there and, and, you know, they watched out for our kids and we got to know everyone. So it was really a, a great place for us to be in a good spot to take family. got my season tickets the very first time when they had the telethon. My tickets were as high as you could go on that second deck. And I loved it up there because you could see the entire universe in front of you. There was nothing that you couldn't watch. So I always enjoyed those tickets until one year I blew out my knee. And then getting up those ramps became quite difficult. And so I moved down an entire section. Anyway, of all the goofy things that I've seen at a football game, the Riders, this is their 3-15 year in 1999. They're going nowhere. Reggie Slack, a quarterback. Final home game, Ty Cats are in town. Ty Cats are beating them bad. Gaynard, at that time, used to ride a bike around the stadium. Well, during this TV timeout, in the fourth quarter, Gaynard gets out there on his bike He's going past the Tiger Cats huddle. Joe Montford steps out, knocks him off the bike, grabs the bike, and takes it for a joyride. <laughs> I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Here's a pro athlete in the middle of a game having the wherewithal to do something funny. Our girls used to love Gainer, Rachel. Um, that was part of the, when they were toddlers, how we kept them engaged. Shelly, you want to tell them? Oh, I mean, it would be... You know, first I packed the backpack with all the appropriate snacks that I spread out over the course of the mm-hmm. game. And it would be the timeouts we'd be watching Gainer or I'd be pointing out what Gainer's doing or 
or then you know, the cheerleaders well let's watch the cheerleaders now and oh what's happening over here let's look at this and um it was it when we were in section 11 it was always an event just to go to the bathroom and and it was you know like taking these little ones but they were they were so excited to be there and and what was really fun in section 11 too was that the players would run down at the start of the game and they would run down to the end and a lot of them would play to section 11 and the that um sometimes as the girls even got a little bit older they would go down to the front and be you know quite close right at the fence at the fence and be waving at them and they would come there were certain players that came every game that was part of their pre-game routine i guess and and that was really a very important event for our two girls that they that they got to experience that every game and so that was a that's a pretty special memory for us i actually have a football confession to make to all of you i don't know if you guys know this about me or not i was actually born in edmonton and before i was born my parents had seasons tickets for a team that doesn't actually have a name at the moment the team that shall not be named and so um, i was actually raised and a fan of that edmonton team not a lot of people in saskatchewan knew that we didn't make a big deal about it even though the that team was tromping a lot of the other teams in the CFL quite regularly in the 70s and early 80s. The first date that I ever had with Dawn, um, of course, you guys know Dawn, you can imagine that football was obviously a topic of conversation on our first date, but I didn't realize how big of a fan he was. So when he asked me about football, I said, oh yeah, no, I grew up in a football family. I was raised on football. I watch games all the time, but then I admitted that it was that Edmonton team that I was watching all the time. <laughs> so, you know, it's really quite a testament to what a good match we are because we actually survived that first date. And, it did require a conversion. Now in some families that has to be religious. Well, in this family, it's religious too. It's just a different religion. <laughs> it's like that rider religion. So there, there was a conversion before the eventual engagement and marriage actually occurred. So, <laughs> so now you know the truth. And my father and brother are still firm Edmonton fans, absolutely. My brother lives in BC, dad's here. My dad's been here for 40 years. Um, my mom though, it's been really fun because we've pulled her to the other side now and she's much more inclined to vote to cheer for green and white than green and gold. So <laughs> my dad doesn't care for that that much though. <laughs> well, I remember another story we had, we stayed at the Hotel Saskatchewan <laughs> and the riders the night before had beaten calgary in overtime 43 i think the 37 the night that we stayed there they, yeah. they we stayed there after the game unbeknownst to us the stampeders were staying in the hotel that we were staying in we go down to breakfast and there's a lot of these big men around and i'm thinking holy crap these are the stampeders and we better get out of here because we're wearing our rider gear we get our stuff we go to the elevator and Three people climb in with us, and it's Robbie Bryant and the defensive line coach climb in with us, and we're in there with our little rider cushions, cushions, and, cushions. and hats, and <laughs> and they're all looking down at us and sort of grunting. These guys, I mean, when you get in an elevator with three football players like that, like you realize how big those guys are. So the nice thing about it was they were super friendly, super polite. Yeah, really. But nice. to break the tension, I just finally had to turn and say, tough game last night, eh? <laughs> and they went, oh, yeah. 
turned out to be uh, really good to us on the way down. We survived the experience. They could have eaten us alive. No one would have been the wiser. We've been in a few different stadiums over the years that it's not even the riders that are playing, but there's a CFL game. And so we've we've gone just to experience the, the stadium and the atmosphere. And, and when we've done that, we've always worn our rider gear, right? And it's amazing how how you're greeted. And anyone, like you go into a stadium and you see many different types of jerseys often people are just fans of the league and are you know especially in the summer i find when people are traveling and they're just there to enjoy the experience and people are you know hey your team's not even here oh that's okay you know like it's not a problem and <laughs> we they're, love to see they're just having having fun right and and enjoying the league yeah. yeah i've had great conversations in winnipeg stadium with the rider fans too and just I always kind of, we get joking back and forth and a little bit of, of, of jawing about the game and stuff, but I always at the end say, you know, I'm glad you guys came. Thanks for coming. It makes the day, right? It's such a, mm-hmm. such a fun experience, you know, and now that I've been in Saskatchewan now for over seven years, I still say strongly that I don't really care for the team, but I love the fans. Um, it's always been a great atmosphere and uh, no matter what you're doing, there's, there's people that will take it too far no matter what city you're in but the very vast majority of people are so so great and so welcoming and just are there to have a good time and support the league it's always been a, a fun part um, i do have another a mascot story to jump in here as well there was a game in winnipeg so of course they have famously buzz and boomer the two mascots and there is a green drop lawn care service in winnipeg always was one of the game sponsors so there's the green drop mascot running around that looks kind of like a, a green Hershey's kiss, if you will. And part of the enjoyment of that game is watching Buzz and Boomer beat on poor green drop throughout the game. Um, there was one game where Buzz was running around on a quad and literally bailed off the quad to tackle green drop. And I saw him land pretty awkwardly. And I said to the, the person I was with, I said, I think he trashed his knee. And sure enough, the rest of the game, he, he came back out and he always rode around on the quad for the rest of the game. He didn't get back on his feet. I did talk to a friend of mine in radio a couple of days later who knew them and, and said, yeah, he basically tore like two knee, two knee ligaments, but uh, managed to get back on the quad and, and finish the game. So uh, sometimes the mascots are as tough as the players. Ouch. One of the other games that, that resonates with me, it was um, in 1995. It was October and I looked it up October 18th of 95, which is when the... Um, when the riders were trying to pack the park. It was before the 95 Grey Cup. We went to that game, Shelley and I went, and we had extra tickets, so we, we took my dad and my uncle along, and, and you guys know that we're teachers, but my dad and uncle were also teachers. And football coaches. And football coaches in Saskatoon, did a lot of coaching at different levels. And uh, anyhow, it was it was quite an interesting game. Uh, we sat down, and, and I believe it was 55,400 and some fans were there. Uh, set the record for Taylor Field's attendance. And so we were happy to be part of that. But just not long after we sat down, all of a sudden from the side, we heard someone yell, Mr. Mooney. And Shelly just killed herself laughing because she said she was watching all three of us and we're all teachers. So we all turned to look because it, nobody knew which Mr. Mooney was being referred to. <laughs> you hear this, Mr. Mooney! And three heads snapped. It was so funny. I just howled. It was really, really good. 
And it was, I think it ended up being for you, which they were laughing and it was like, oh, it's the young guy that... That's, Barely into my career teaching. Yeah, just getting called and not the two that were, you know, years of knowing people and such. Actually, Pat and Shelly and Don and I have got a good football story together too because a few years ago... We all went to a rider game in Hamilton at the at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton, which was a really, really fun time together. We did a lot of fun things on that trip. There was these three rider fans that we met on the bus <laughs> and they they were just hilarious. They actually followed us to, to try to get back to Toronto because we were all taking a bus after the game to go back to Toronto. But I think we talked to them in the in the lineup before we went into the game and kind of got to know them. Did we see them? During the game in Hamilton, I can't remember. We saw yes, them. We they made it on they the big screen. They actually made it on the big screen during the <laughs> concert. It was part of they the concert. They made it on the Jumbotron in Hamilton, right? They were doing the first down symbol in unison, right? And then we saw them. On, they, they were on the same bus as us leaving the stadium. So we were chatting with them and they were following us because they weren't sure how to get to the bus depot to take the bus back to Toronto. My, but my favorite part of the story is a week later after that game, We'd finished our touring. We we were all in Toronto together. Then Don and I went on to Montreal to go to a game, another game in Montreal. We come back because there's a game in Regina on Saturday. And we're at the football game on Saturday. And wouldn't you know it, the same three guys ended up on the Jumbotron doing their first down motion <laughs> yeah, on this Jumbotron in Regina. So it was just like this traveling pack of rider fans that kept crossing paths. We didn't know those kids from Adam, but they were so funny and such yeah. characters. And to see them, you know, and I think we saw them on TV when we watched the game afterwards. They not only made it on the Jumbotron, but they made it on to TSN like, for the game coverage too. So... That was just so funny. It's just like, and it, it doesn't only have to be Ryder fans when you're traveling to those other games that you have that connection with too, because people, CFL fans are CFL fans and they love that you travel to their games in other cities. Like you were saying, like people are so congenial and it's fun to see the parks and stuff, but. Just prior to having kids, the only experience, like we've, we've, we've never really had any really bad experiences with fans, but certainly um, we had season tickets for a couple of years right out of university in the university section yes. back in the day. And there were some interesting fans at those times. Oh, yes. <laughs> a little bit, uh, a little bit too much um, liquid refreshment. <laughs> well, especially if you're there to watch the game, like that's it. I mean, you want to go and have fun, but if you actually want to see the game and the other activities completely, you know, make it impossible for you to watch the game, that I do find annoying sometimes. It's like, I'm here to watch the game. Enough of this. Well, and I guess that that section was dedicated to those people, mm -hmm. kind of like I think that Pilsner zone now, right? That yeah. Yeah. you know what you're in for when you go to that area. <laughs> the first time I think we went to a game in Hamilton and we were coming from Toronto and we got to the bus station, but we didn't know which bus to take. And there was this guy sitting there with a Ticats jersey. And he kind of looked over at us and he immediately knew we were lost because we had the deer and headlights look. So he said, okay, where, I guess you're going to the game because he saw the rider gear. And he, he got us onto the bus. We went to the game. After the game, he sought us out, made sure we got on the right bus again, got back to the commons place where you get onto the bus to go to Toronto. And then he made sure we got on that bus because he was going on it back to Toronto. So he took total care of us. Wow. And what a class guy. He was a Ticat fan, but he lived in Toronto. Yeah, we've certainly had lots of experiences of people like that. And, and part of it has been when we've gone to the Great Cup. 
Anytime we've attended the Grey Cup, the people from across Canada that attend the Cup, how they're willing to share their passion for the CFL and talk football. And uh, not only that, when you're walking around, you see players that aren't in the game and, and the CFL icons from the news and, and such a wonderful experience. I was, of course, looking forward to that in 2020 when the Riders were going to host again, but uh, may have to travel one of these years too and get back out to it because that's, that's part of the tradition for many people. They go every year. Now, I had one uh, neutral site game as well. 2001, uh, a bunch of us had actually taken a road trip to Ottawa for Canada Day and we're spending a few days in Toronto on the way back and the Argos and Alouettes were kicking off the season and uh, they had a big kind of block party outside the Sky Dome where you could have uh, drinks and hot dogs and that sort of thing. They had face painting balloon animals. Uh, one of the women we were with got a big balloon flower made and she dragged this thing into the game and wouldn't, wouldn't let go. And after the game, the Alouettes won. We kind of wandered down towards the sideline and got talking to John Liu from TSN. She's waving this flower as the Alouettes were running off the field. And Scott Flory came over. He was a offensive lineman for the Alouettes back in the day. So she made this big production of, I wanted to give you this and, and the great game, etc. And he kind of looked at me and I high-fived him and said, yeah, great game, but the Bombers are gonna win the East final. And he just kind of looked at me, he says, you're crazy. And he grabbed his balloon flower and went running off to the locker room. And lo and behold, the Bombers won the East final that year. They didn't. You called it. <laughs> uh, didn't quite finish the job, but I thought about that moment for the whole rest of the season that I, uh, I one-upped them on opening day. Oh, we've had a lot of fun going to games. We've had, met a lot of great people going to games. I'm so looking forward to 2021 with player signings going on left, right, and center. It sure seems like we're going to be back to football this year. I'm looking so forward to it. There could be a lot of change at the top. It could be the same two uh, teams back in the Grey Cup. No one knows until we get going. Things could definitely be different this year, and uh, we're, we're, we as well are looking forward to it because part of, as I mentioned before, going to the games is getting together with family and friends, and uh, you know that's always an opportunity for us to see you guys at the games when you're there and, and also uh, for our kids and and. Some law, they come to the game as well, and, and even people from across the province that we know. Uh, it's just a great place to gather, and I'm looking forward to when we can return to the stadium. Yeah, and I'm sure Heath is hoping that Nadine gets out of the way every once in a while so he can take a seat. I will be the cold weather um, spot in the, in the seat beside Dawn. Anytime. You betcha. You betcha. <laughs> well, we've got to sit in those new seats that I've got because yeah. we haven't been there yet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we got those a seat improvement and we haven't, we don't even know exactly where they are until we put our bums in those seats. As soon as we get back in the stadium, there is not going to be a bad seat in that stadium because at least you're there and you're watching football. Right. Well, it's, it's looking promising now. So hopefully by the time the season kicks off, we'll be ready to get people back in the seats. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching. <laughs>